Well, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, we've been in James. And we've been in James for, uh, today will be the seventh week. And uh, I'm just going to be real upfront with you. So if you want to step out now, you can. But James is going to talk about money. He's just going to go ahead and do it. Uh, one of the beautiful and uh, difficult things about preaching the gospel is that when it comes up, we talk about it. Uh, but the interesting thing about uh, the scriptures and the God that I serve and, and, and uh, that we, we celebrate here today is that uh, we serve a God who, who doesn't leave us alone, who gets involved in every detail of our life, including money. And what I've noticed about money is that uh, money informs and forms almost every decision we make in our lives, that money is uh, at the forefront of probably every single one of our minds. If it's not at the forefront of your mind all the time, it means you have a lot of it, and we should talk. The idea is that money changes things. It just does. If you don't think money is, uh, is, uh, is a powerful force, bring it up at your next luncheon and just say, hey, how much money do you make? And watch how things shift, because money, even the mention of it, uh, just changes the climate of any space that you're in. And today, James wants to talk about it, and a lot of times people complain that we talk about money too much in church, and yet the world is just constantly flooding us with uh, things to buy, and they, they want all of our money all the time, and so what I love about God is he says, let's get involved in the thing that matters probably the most to most of us, and, and, and we want to jump into what James is saying, James 5, 1 says, come now, you rich people. And he's shouting it. You know, there's an exclamation mark. Come now, you rich people. Gather around. Everybody come. Listen, not everybody. Rich people. And, and what's interesting is that uh, if you hear this and you're reading this and you're listening to this, you say, well, James isn't talking to me today. Right? Because I don't know. I mean, you might, you probably would never admit that you're rich, even if you are rich. Uh, but you're saying, that's not me. Come now, you rich people. You must be talking about somebody else. He must be talking about people in different rooms. He's not talking about us. Come now, you rich people. And so our natural inclination is to go, well, if he's not talking about me, then maybe I set this one out. Maybe I just let this one pass by. But if we stop for a second and we realize that if you make $25,000 a year, you are in the wealthiest 2% of the world. So if you're here and you're like, oh, I just make 20 or I make 19, like by our standards, that is uh, below poverty level, and I understand that. However, you would be someone's Elon Musk. If you just made $25,000 a year, you would be someone's richest person. Like people around the world would look at you and the way you live and the way I live and the food in our pantry and the clean water and the shelter that we have, and they would look at us and they'd be blown away at how we live. And we may feel like we're impoverished here, and, and some of us, by standards here, might be in poverty, but if we look at the global picture, you are wealthy. That James doesn't leave any of us alone when he says, come now, you rich people. He's talking to all of us. He's talking to every single one of us. Now, if you're a skeptic or an unbeliever, I just want to say that we've already received an offering today. It's not double offering Sunday, uh, we're not looking to, you know, make sure everybody's paying or giving or, or, or anything, so I, I want everybody to feel at ease when we talk about money in the context of a room that receives money, it gets weird, but I don't want it to be weird. I want this space to be a space of honesty, not between you and I as much as between you and God. I want us all to come to the table and to hear these words that James is writing to us and, 
and hear God speaking with honesty. And I want us all to to weigh these words against the way that we live. And if there's anything inside of us that is contrary to the way that James is inviting us to live, then let's make a correction. Because James, once again, is inviting us into a better way. He's saying you can live this way, but it's better if you live this way. And we look at James 5.1, it says, uh, Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is ruined and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your silver and gold are corroded and their corrosions will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Happy Sunday. Verse, uh, latter part of three, you stored up treasures in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who reaped your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've, li- you've lived luxuriously on the land and have indulged yourself. You've fattened your heart for the day of slaughter. You've condemned, you've murdered the righteous man. He does not resist you. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot happening in this passage, and we're going to work through a lot of it. But this message isn't as much about money as it is about consumerism. It's not so much about money as it is what we do with money, because money is connected to the core of our values. The things that we spend money on end up reflecting our priorities. They reflect our hearts. They reflect our minds. And what James is saying essentially, at least in my reading of this passage, is James is looking at us and he's saying money is dangerous. It's not evil, but it's dangerous. I've noticed that when I drive here now, I've been driving here for three years uh, on a daily basis, some day, sometimes six, seven days a week. Uh, I notice that I arrive here on the parking lot, and I don't remember how I got here. I t- turn on my radio, and I'm listening to, uh, you know, the news, because uh, I'm an old man, and, and I, I'm, I'm here, and, and I go, how did I get here? Did I stop at that stoplight? Was it red? Did I cut anybody off? Because it's automated, right? See, what I feel like for so many of us is that money has become this automated thing in our lives. We're aware of it, or how little we have of it, but because we've transitioned from uh, cash to a card system by and large, we just swipe, we scan, I tap, because that's how fancy I am, and, and we move on. And we don't think about the process And what happens is we spend so quickly and so easily, we don't realize how dangerous it is. Like getting behind the wheel of a car, we don't realize that we could actually cause a lot of havoc. We could actually take life behind a vehicle. And yet so many of us are content with texting still. And we're working on that. But the idea is that money is just the same. It's so dangerous. And yet we haphazardly uh, walk around spending it and using it. And James wants to draw our attention to money saying it's not bad, it's just dangerous. And the reason it's so dangerous is because it's deceptive. Money is deceiving us. It's it's quite deceptive. That that if your deceptive heart and my deceptive heart uh, is is casually playing around with money, we're going to end up falling in love with money, and that love of money could lead to death. And James doesn't want us to do that. That money has this sneaky way of of coming into our lives and deceiving us and lying to us and and telling us that we don't have enough and we need more and and telling us that we can buy happiness and telling us all of these lies and we buy it. And what happens over time is that money becomes this seductive mistress. 
She sneaks into our lives and, and she begins lying to us. And you may not love money, but money gets to be this mistress that, that comes in and dictates and determines everything that you do. She's this really seductive mistress that's very hard to say no to. Have you ever seen something online and you're like, I've got to have it. And then all of a sudden you're like, I can't live without it. It moves from I need it to I can't live without it. Like my life would be so much easier. It'd be so much better. And it's only $4.99 or $17.99 or whatever. And we go, I need it. And then you get it. That's money lying to us. Your life could be better. Your life could be easier. I have this game that we play. It's not really a game as much as it is just torture for me. But my kids, every time we drive in the car, they go, let's stop at Sonic. Right? You're familiar with this uh, this place in, in town, Sonic, they have drinks, and they go, let's stop for drinks. It's summer, it's hot, we need sugar, and so they let's stop at Sonic. And I go, no, 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 and they go, but it's happy hour. <laughs> As if there's this magic period of time between two and four where drinks are half price, and so they go, it's only $1.50, Dad. Like, I'm the cheapskate, right? They don't have a $1.50, but they want to use my $1.50. Like, it's only, and so I'm looking in the car, like, there's three of them. So, like, if I don't get a drink, it's almost five bucks with tax, maybe a little more. And I'm like, that's five bucks, not a $1.50. And if we do that every week for a month, that's like 20 bucks. And if we do that every week for a year, I don't know, not good at math, but that's like $200,000. It's like, if we stop now and we get a drink, we're going to be out $200,000. And I got to say, no. They don't think about diabetes and all this stuff. It's like, no, you, we can't spend this kind of money. This is outrageous. And it's a lot easier to say no to my kids because I don't want to spoil them. And then we come to God. And a lot of us are willing quickly to say no to God. We'll actively buy things online. And I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt anybody because I buy so much stuff online. I got Amazon packages waiting. And my kids have introduced me to Timu. I don't know if we should support that. Let's bleep that out of the podcast. But there's this idea that you can buy cheap things and they show up at your house and I'm guilty of it just like everybody else. But what happens is we take that same mindset of, well, I can't afford it when God says, I need you to step up. When God begins to invite us into a better way, a better way to use our money and to spend our money and to invest, we go, well, I can't. I say no. And it's one thing to say no to my kids. It's another thing to say go to God. And God's going, a lot of us have been living a certain way with our money and spending money in a certain way. And it's not pleasing, it's not glorifying God. It's actually investing in your own lives. James actually says, it's fattening your heart. He said it, I didn't. And, and it's not gonna pay out for us. That James is speaking to this church and he's speaking to the person sitting in your seat and he says, it's, money is dangerous because it actually sets us up for misery later on. Money is dangerous because the lie that it's telling us is that it can create a momentary satisfaction, but long term it's actually going to cause more pain. And he says this in verse 3 or verse 2, he says, your wealth is ruined and your clothes are moth-eaten, your silver and gold, they're corroded and the corrosion will be a witness against you and it's going to eat your flesh like fire. Now, what would cause our wealth to corrode and, and what would cause our economic system to unravel and, and our clothes to be moth-eaten and everything to be worthless? Why is this all so dangerous and why is it all so deceptive? He says it this way. He says, because you have laid up treasures in the last days. He's saying this is all dangerous because of how we use money. James is saying the reason why money is so dangerous is that all of it is falling apart because you and I, we trust in the wrong things. 
And it's so easy to trust in the wrong things because the wrong things seem like the right things until they don't seem like the right things anymore. And then in hindsight, we go, that was probably the wrong thing. And all of us are in this space where we're feeling this tidal wave of culture and consumerism pushing down upon the dams of our life and there's cracks seeping in and and we're all trying to feel content and safe and and happy and and a lot of times we do that by spending more money and buying more things and in this area there's only two things to do you can eat and shop and you can shop and then you eat and it doesn't matter the order you do them in it's just the way that it's done on the weekends here and James is saying we got to stop it's not bringing happiness it's not bringing life it's not promoting Christ He's saying it's dangerous because money gives us false hope. It's not just deceptive, but it actually is built on false hope. It's propped up on false hope. And and what's fascinating about James is that his teachings often model Jesus's. And if we look at Matthew 6, Jesus says this on the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 19 in Matthew 6, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust are going to destroy and thieves are going to break in and steal. He says, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be. Wherever your treasure is. That's actually where your heart is. Here is what James and Jesus both are saying is that money and and what we do with it and the measure in which we desire it reveals our hearts way more than our mouths do. That if you want to know the condition of your heart, we can look at our bank account. We can look at our bank statements. Now, I'm not inviting you to do that, like, collectively, right? So we're not going to pull up our bank accounts on our phones and compare them and talk about where all of our money goes. Uh, But this is between you and God. This is between you and God, where you go, God, this is my heart. Does it reflect you? Am I building up for myself more things here on earth, or am I investing in heaven? You can talk about how much you love God, and you can talk about how much you love the kingdom of God, and you can talk about how great God is and how much he's done for you. But what James would say is, let's really look at how much you care. Because we buy things that we care about. We invest our money in areas that we see value. And James would say, I hear the words that you're saying, but let's look at your bank account, and let's see how valuable God is to us. Several years ago, uh, I was at a church, not here and I had a guy approach me, and he's like, I love coming to this church, and, and, and it's been awesome. I've been coming for a while, almost a year, and, and it's just remarkable, and I love being here. I just have this problem with giving money to the church. We just sort of sit there for a moment. And I said to him very honestly, and, and, and I think with a humble heart, I, I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you are able and willing to come and partake in what others are paying for because none of this is free others are providing this for you and I I hate that you're able to sit here and partake but not be willing to give and I said with honesty you do not have to give here and I want to tell you that too like this is not we've already received all this is not about getting you to give I don't want anyone to give begrudgingly however every single one of us have to come to a place where we are willing to defeat greed to push back against this desire to take more than we receive. One of the things that I'm working with, with my kids, mostly my boys, uh, is that we give more than we receive. That if you're buying a bunch of stuff for yourself, that's great. 
But make sure you're giving something. You're buying for others, too. There at least needs to be this balance. Well, we're not people who take more than we give, but we're investing. We're part of the cycle of, of, of giving, and, and we're not people who would ever go to a restaurant, enjoy a good meal, and then just walk out. So why do we come to God and go, God, give me all this stuff. Now I'm going to hold it. Now I'm going to hang on to it. See, money keeps lying to us. It keeps deceiving us. It keeps telling us that money can actually buy happiness. We actually spend money to buffer ourselves from the woes of this world. If you've got a car that doesn't run well, if I only bought a new car, I wouldn't have to worry about it breaking down. But now you're worried about it being scratched. you got to park far in the parking lot because you don't want somebody to give you a fender bender. Now you get different problems. I need a bigger house. You know, i got to be safe. i got to have room for all my kids and all my stuff. And so you buy a bigger house. I don't have to worry about small houses anymore. But now i got to worry about keeping it up. The maintenance. We're not using money to eliminate anxiety or fear or stress or worry. We're just shifting it. And a lot of us use money to try to solve this temporary desire inside of us to feel happy. And it does it. Buy something, bump a happiness. Back down. Buy something, bump a happiness. Back down. Buy something, bump a happiness. We keep doing this over and over. And at some point we have to stop and go, am I storing up for myself treasures here on earth where moth and rust are going to corrode, where thieves are going to break in and steal? Or am I actually coming to a place where I'm storing up my treasures in heaven? Money is dangerous because the lie that it tells us is that there's never enough. One of the lies that we believe about money is that we need more right? Consistently, over and over, I need more money. Uh, often what we'll say is, as soon as I have this amount of money, then I'll do this, right? If I can just get to this place in my life, then I'll get this. If I just get rid of this bill, then I'll be able to do this. And we play this game with ourselves where we just keep pushing to the future. Like, if only I could get here, and if only I could get there. And what's fascinating to me is, like, as a kid, I remember, like, $5,000 being, like, a ton of money, you know, like I could retire and live rich on candy and uh, skateboard and just be fine. You know, I got my Nintendo and I don't need anything. Just five grand would be crazy. Now, five grand would be crazy. You know what I mean? For, for the most of us in this room, we wouldn't turn down five grand. But it wouldn't last long, right? It's interesting that in my 20s, I started thinking a million would be a lot, right? You remember a time? I mean, it would still be a lot. You see what I'm saying? But it wouldn't last long. As global wealth keeps climbing, as, you know, the richest people in the world keep getting uh, somehow richer, as, uh, you know, lotteries going up, like money just keeps going up, like a million's nothing, it's 10 million now, or 50 million, or, you know, we're saying billion as if it's very casual now, like a billion's the new million. And there's this interesting cycle that we go through in our lives where we go, I just need that next, I just need that next. And James says, look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who reaped your fields cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived luxuriously on the land and you've indulged yourself. You've fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You've condemned, you've murdered the righteous man. He doesn't resist you. What James is saying is, look, you're cheating. You're holding back, you're stealing in order to get more. Now I know most of you are thinking I would never murder for money. I actually hope you're all thinking I would never murder Period. But I think all of us would go, I'm not going to murder for money, right? But what's interesting is that as we begin to enter into this cycle of, of, of needing more money and wanting more money, uh, no one that uh, has ever been caught for uh, stealing or, or killing for money or uh, lying on their taxes or whatever ever said that they planned to do that. 
It was all just over time, slowly, subtly, it started with, I just need a little more, and I need a little more. Well, I just have to do a little bit more to get there. I have to do a little bit more to get there. And the more we want, the more we become desperate to get what we think we need, and the more we risk, and the more we lie, and the more we cheat, and the more we steal, and the more we shortchange, and the more we become stingy, and, 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 and this desire that drives people to do insane things for money ends up showing up in our hearts when we least expect it. Oh, I'd never kill for money. We might cheat on our taxes a little. Oh, I would never kill for money, but I might not tip well, or whatever that looks like. However, you scale that. I feel like the moment that we fall so in love with money and we try to pursue it more than God, we start to risk and, and we start doing things that are, that, are, uh, that are against Scripture. And 1 Timothy says in chapter 6, verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out. What's interesting about this is, you know, however many thousands of years ago Timothy writes these words, he could never imagine society like it is today. I mean, 25, 30 years ago, we couldn't imagine the way society is, you know, with technology and advancements and flying cars. I'm assuming we'll have those at one time. But the idea is that Timothy couldn't imagine the advancements that we would have made. And what's fascinating to me is that when he writes these words, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out, Thousands of years later, nothing's changed. We still bring nothing into this world when we're born. Not even close. And we still take nothing with us. With all the advancements in technology and medical science, we are still in the same boat that First Timothy, uh, that Timothy was in, in writing this passage. For we brought nothing into this world and we take nothing out. But look at verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. That changed. I don't know about you, but I would not be content with just food and clothing. I can't imagine only having food and clothing. There's people around the world that can't imagine having food and clothing. We come to a place where we can all agree that we can't imagine living this way. So we have this idea that we're not content with living with food and clothing, and so we have to have some things. But how much do we have to have? And that's the question that we have to answer. That's the question that God wants to look in our hearts, and he wants to help us come to a, a, a clear answer that says, how much is enough? How much more do we need? And is that constant, perpetual cycle of needing more, ruining our relationship with God, storing up things on earth, and not investing in eternity? So we defeat this lust for more. By being generous people, God knew the importance of generosity in our hearts, and he knew how it would be the antidote to greed when he instituted this thing called first fruits, where early on uh, God said, okay, I want the first of your fruits to be sacrificed to me. So if you uh, had produce, grew some things out in your garden, the first thing that you picked, that would be God's, to be sacrificed to him. If you were a rancher and you had a cattle born, uh, the first cow you'd slaughter, you'd sacrifice, you'd burn it up, and that would be the smell of sacrifice. That would be your sacrifice to God. And the reason they did this is because they were saying this is the Lord's and he's going to provide more. My wife has a tomato plant outside. I picked the tomato. Um, that, that's first fruits God's. We can get rid of it knowing another tomato is going to come. Right? Over time, that turned into the tenth. That turned into uh, a tithe. And we find this tithe fleshed out in uh, Deuteronomy 14. It says, each year you were to set a tenth of the produce grown in your fields. Ends up being the tithe. Today, we take a tenth of our income. Some crazy people take, a ten, uh, take 10% of our income and we give it to God through the context of the church. 
And we live on 90%, and it's hard. And, and some people are able to do 20 or 15, and some people are able to do 5, and it's challenging either way, but it's a sacrifice for all of us. But this is the uh, way that God instituted the tithe to push back greed in our lives, where this is our way to invest in the kingdom of God, where we don't just store up for ourselves things here on earth. We say, I'm giving to invest in eternity. And this is a sacrifice. Sacrifice in the original Latin means to make holy. This is our moment to make something holy. When you sacrifice your time or your talent or your income, you're making that time holy. If you give here in the room and you put it in a box, that's a holy moment. If you give through text or through online, that's a holy moment. If you spend time with someone uh, and you're just, you're just hanging out with them and, 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 and being near them, that is a holy moment. That our sacrifices are holy and divine moments. And God doesn't give us all the resources so that we'll trust in him. He gives us resources when we trust in him. Now, I wish he would give me everything on the front end and just trust that I'm going to be honest with it. But in his wisdom, he goes, I'm going to give you just as much as you can handle. And as your faith increases, as your trust in me increases, as your generosity increases, then I will be able to give you more. If you're faithful with the little, God says, I promise to give you more. But what a lot of us do is we go, well, once he's given me all of it, then I'll be faithful with it. And God's saying, trust me with this. Trust me in the tithe. If you'll just give the tithe, if you'll just start there, you'll be storing up yourself uh, something in heaven. You'll be investing in the future. And you'll be trusting that God will provide more, that there's more coming. But it's in the context of sacrifice that miracles come. It's in the context of our sacrifice that God is able to bless us. And and this isn't why we give, but it's because we give. And above the 10% is an offering. And we've had some people around here go, I noticed you need this. Here's some money for it. I heard this was broke. Here, some money to help fix it. We haven't asked for an offering, but people have given above their tithe because they've been able to. And because people believe in what's happening here, people are giving here. And it's remarkable and it's beautiful. And it takes all of us. And it's going to take more of us. And I wrestle with this tension of, you know, how much do we trust God and move forward without the income? And how much do we trust that the income is there and where God's going to provide? And there's this tension, you know, uh, where we're wise, but we're also faithful. Where we're uh, being good stewards of God's money. And as a church, we're having to look deep at the way we spend money and, and how we're spending it. And make sure that we're not misusing God's money. But then we also have to have faith and we have to trust that God's going to keep providing. And you have to do the same in your life. There's this tension to where you go, I'm going to give, but I want to be wise. I don't want to miss, you know, a, a bill or, or, or skip something. So we have to be smart and wise and we have to sacrifice and look deep at our finances and look deep at the way we spend and look deep at our passions. But what God wants to do is he wants to get involved in those areas of our life. That we could possibly be the wealthiest people in history, comparatively. And yet, none of us feel like we have enough. And my prayer is that we would all become generous people. People willing to invest in others. Not just in money, but in time and talent. Willing to invest in the kingdom of God. Willing to invest in this church to see that future generations will come to the knowledge of who Jesus is. Because you and I were faithful. And you and I sacrificed. And I'm thankful for people that have gone before us. And the only mortgage we have is just on the gym. And that's because there's been a lot of faithful people that even in death have given money over to the church. Because that's how much they believe in 
what's happening here. And I believe that God's bringing in more people to go, this is my church, and I want to make sure that future generations can come and be a part of what God's doing. Uh, I want us to be people who, who, uh, who give more than we take, and that we change the way that we view money, that we redirect the narrative. We all have a narrative, a story about money. Every one of us do. And often our story is about what money can give me, what it can provide for me. If I were to give you $100, your first thought, that's the heart, that's your test. My first thought would be, I've been looking at this thing for a while and I'd like to buy it. My second thought is, what, what does my family need? <laughs> my third thought would be, maybe I could give it to God. And that's the narrative that we have about money is, what can it get me? Can I get something else? Can I get more? I feel like God wants to deal with us and go, is he enough? Is he enough? Do we have everything that we need for this moment? And can we trust that he's going to provide us more if we're faithful with what, he, with what he's given us? Let's constantly look for ways that we can invest in others. That we can start looking at money as stored up energy waiting to be used to promote the gospel. To put Jesus first. That's my hope for us. If you would, let's bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Father in heaven, we come to you in this moment and uh, we just thank you that you care enough about us that you, uh, you don't leave any part of our lives alone. I thank you that you're good and that you pour out on your people all that we need and you satisfy those who persist in prayer. So make us bold in asking, make us bold in trusting, make us faithful people who aren't just trusting and faithful and bold in our talk, but we actually follow that up in our spending. So, Father, we proclaim boldly that you're in control, that you are our master. Your word warns us of having money as our master, as our mistress, that she's not a good master. And so, God, we are turning over control of our lives back to you, where you lead and you dictate and you guide and you direct. So we say no to the world and we say yes to you. So, Father, we thank you that you continue to love and to care for us and you provide for us all that we need. So we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.